Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. I know who I am. When we are finished with you, you'll no longer be yourself. I remember. I remember everything. Remembering everything doesn't mean you know everything. Tell me. 
Welcome to the next reel on the Rashpixel.fm podcast network. This is the Film Board, a monthly gathering of theater thugs promising to completely spoil a movie just released in theaters, along with a great many other movies that could possibly be related to it. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to spoil Jason Bourne, the number five. Let, let's bring our assets back in. Welcome to the identity, Pete Wright. I'm going to keep my Film Board script to 25 lines or less. Say hello to the supremacy, Steve Sarmento. That's right, I'm a supreme taco. As a result of an ultimatum, we welcome back Tommy Hansen. I keep my secret files in a folder named Secret Files. And maintaining our legacy, as always. Hello, Andy Nelson. Hello. Uh, So glad to be here with you guys. It may require that we forcefully beat the amnesia out of each other, but I think we'll have a lot to talk about on this one, and we're all chomping up a bit to get going. So let's jump right in with initial thoughts. Pete, go do it. (laughs) I'm still laughing about secret files because that's what makes this movie so dumb (laughs) i'm like the cia i I put them all in the folder that say don't look (laughs) and then connect it to the internet oh dear oh this movie was so bad it made me hate myself uh i it it really it it was it was just terrible uh my initial thoughts is is a page and a half long so i'm 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 going to restrain myself to just the high level bullet points uh, uh the script people don't talk like this like they do in this movie the technology was unforgivingly absurd the camera i really look back fondly to the days when the jiggly monkey only pissed in my lemonade instead of completely (laughs) violating it like it did in this film uh the jason Bourne story i I think overall guys i think it was told it was finished it was done and this movie is not a jason Bourne movie it's a ridiculous deep dream facebook cia story uh and and they they had a couple of huge sins first they made jason Bourne a fantastic character boring but more than that they made him dramatically inconsequential, and that is unforgivable. I'm done. Woo! <laughs> wow. Well, we want to start it off with a bang. That's good. Well, and now I think we want to talk a little bit back from the ledge, right, Andy? I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> or counterbalance. <laughs> no, I didn't love it, actually. But uh, after that, what else do you say? Um, no, I mean, it had issues. I had a lot of problems with this. I didn't have a problem watching it. I found it uh, just easy to kind of digest and make my way through. It didn't. Uh, it didn't uh, infuriate me um, w- during the watching. I did get a little infuriated afterward, but you know, it was it was easy enough to watch. Um, I think, if anything, it's more disappointing for me um, because I felt. Uh, I mean, like Pete, I, I did feel like they didn't need to tell another story. They had kind of completed it. I mean, Matt Damon himself had said, you know, we are done after after Ultimatum. And here they are uh, coming back. And it just, uh, it didn't, I was really hoping that the fact that they were coming back meant that they were, there was a really good reason. And this just, it wasn't it. So more than uh, angry, I'm just a little more disappointed. Okay. So not the counterbalance that I thought was going to be there, but um, how about you, Steve? When the Born Ultimatum movie ended, because I, I watched that to sort of just pick up the momentum. It's been nine years. We had the Born Legacy, which was tangentially related. That film, Born Ultimatum, ended exactly as the franchise started, with a body of Jason Bourne floating in the water. His whole arc had been completed at the end of that film. So for this 
the big challenge was to create a new story arc to engage audiences in a new adventure. But instead, we got another Bourne film that has some entertaining action sequences, but doesn't really progress characters or story significantly. And it just was really a typical action hero franchise film. And for that, I'd rather watch the upcoming Jack Reacher film. Sure. Sure, which is going to be on a film board episode uh, later this year. That trailer looks really good. For that yeah. and many more <laughs> Should reasons. Should we just start talking I'd about rather watch Jack Reacher? Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. We could spend the next hour talking about the Jack Reacher trailer. Um, how about you, Tommy? What did you think? I'll be a little bit more mitigating, surprisingly. Uh, I thought the plot was paper thin. There's no character development or levity, but it still gave me enough of what I want from a Bourne film just to sort of sate me. Uh, it's a bunch of running around, outsmarting jerks in suits, and just fantastic action scenes. Uh, sometimes I go back and forth on how Greengrass films things. This time I was thrilled with how he did it. I enjoyed the experience. I think it's good that there is a mitigating voice there. I didn't know what to think of this movie. I I, I was confused the entire time trying to figure out for me why I see a Jason Bourne movie. I went back and watched all four leading up to this and it, you know honestly trying to think back they all kind of bled together when I think about what different happened between the supremacy and the ultimatum it was difficult for me to figure out legacy of course is a stand aside sort of thing and all that and it because of the whole Jeremy Renner piece and and, and it's a different story altogether but this one is different as well um, I agree with everyone in terms of the story in that they left it behind and they tried to do something different. It feels like what they thought I wanted to see about Jason Bourne is not what I thought I wanted to see about it. The cool stuff that you're talking about, Tommy, I, I, I saw that too. And that's why when I was watching, I, I, I still saw a bunch of fights. I still saw a bunch of, you know, exotic locations with interesting shots and interesting things, interesting set pieces. But the story was so wrong and flat and weird um, that I didn't know what I was going to say today. So I'm, I'm really happy to hear all the different sort of uh, uh, fuel on the fire, both in both directions. Uh, and I think that the, the, the thing that I would go into is that the storyline that comes up on IMDb about this, that's my biggest question is it's the shortest one I've ever seen when they say Jason Bourne, now remembering who he truly is, tries to uncover hidden truths about his past. Did he do that? Yes. Cause every movie he's, he's, there's something that's like, it's like this poor guy. It's every time he encounters some ex-CIA person, he's got these horrible memories that have been buried for a decade that suddenly just appear for no reason and then plague him for a good 24 hours. And then, you know, he's resolved the issue and moves on to mysteriously disappear again. J Jason, we've got terrible news about your college roommate. <laughs> yes, you have exactly. To come, you have to come in from the cold. Yeah, and the thing that I'm pointing out that, I'm, that, that I kind of want to get your guys' feeling about is that I feel like they thought we saw, saw the movie to see more about Jason Bourne. Because what they focused on here is that they thought they would bring us all back saying, hey, you have more to learn about your past. When those things that you were talking about, Tommy, those, those fight scenes and sort of the innovative things that were about the action in the early movies were still kind of present, not, not as well done as before. But what they tried to do different or what they tried to hook us with was Jason Bourne. And it wasn't that interesting and I totally didn't care. This is the thing right here, right here, JJ. 
the pinnacle of this entire series for me, the entire series is in the first movie when he's sitting in that mountain lodge and he says, I know that I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Now, why would I know that, right? That's it. And that is the the incredible challenge that the Born Identity as a series kickoff sets up. And the same thing holds true with the books, although they have largely been taken up by, by better writers than attempted to do the same here. Once you answer the question who born is the story is over and we have to come up with a precedent that is much more interesting in order to keep us coming back or else we want to see new characters we want to see i you know maybe it's matt damon playing a a, a protector of the great wall of china i don't know <laughs> the jury's out on that too but it wasn't this movie this movie fails that because by this time we don't care who your dad was right that ended up being an inconsequential piece of an, an inconsequential story about a guy who was hardly in this movie i mean we may have seen him on screen but he was hardly in it totally Totally. And did, did any of you care? I mean, about his dad? Was there a piece of this story that gave it any sort of legs? Not really. I mean, I, I mean, maybe if, if the element of his father had been more uh, prevalent in the previous films, like, you know, we, we learned more about his dad's in, involvement in the government. And I don't know, I, I just feel like there was uh, something that could have been there that actually lent uh would have lent a little more interest in this particular story it it really felt like they were just trying to come up with another shadowy element of Bourne's past i mean they were really just trying to recreate kind of the whole premise of each of the other films you know he's there's a dark memory he can't quite latch on to and then he has to go on a journey to figure out what that what that is so that he can kind of move through that and in this particular case it uh, it was just really inconsequential it didn't really it didn't matter. And also, I, I don't know, I, I had issues with the fact that uh, the guy who kills his dad is like his age. And, and uh, you know, it just, I don't know, it just seemed weirdly uh, like impossible. Yeah. It's like, how is he only like, he's still fighting Jason Bourne, but, you know, he was like killing Jason Bourne's dad when Jason Bourne was younger. I don't know. That that seems And then he was robbing all those casinos in the meantime. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's busy. Busy doing bad things. Yeah. So I I, I I think you know, they tried to you know, with the story with his dad, they tried to connect it to what was his reason for for getting into the whole Treadstone project? Which I think is, if you're going to go back and try to de delve into that mystery again, which Ultimatum really, you know, as I said, wrapped all that up, and you need to pull a thread out of that. Yeah, getting into what would make a soldier commit to, you know, making this decision to enter into this, you know, really... Um, you know, secret shadowy black ops program. What was his uh, objective or goal? And they they barely touched on that because it was, oh, he was doing it because he wanted to get the guys that killed his father. And that got buried so far. And when they when he said that, I thought, ah, okay, why am I just finding this out near the end when that should have been something driving us towards the beginning? There, there was a lot of manipulation of the plot with like Nikki showing up again to try to get him in. And, and it just really was clunky and awkward writing. But I thought there was a nice seed there that just really wasn't developed enough to get that connected back to what the other Bourne films did, which was there's a motive for him to try to get this information, to try to find out who he is. And they 
I think ultimately just failed horribly in this one. <laughs> I have to ask this question, though. I have to ask this question. This is the Raiders of the Lost Ark paradox. If Nikki had not shown up, right? If she had oh, not, yeah. like, yeah. if she had not, would we? Would this story have happened? Would this Jason Bourne story have happened? It seems to me that Jason himself was perfectly happy in his box to the death lifestyle in Greece. That that there was no story until she brought the, thank God it's encrypted USB drive because it's labeled encrypted, uh, (laughs) and and, and introduced this story. It's a generic, Um, generic encrypted drive. (laughs) What is that? It's encrypted. encrypted. They sell it that way at the spy store. USB ports? That'd be great. I I got this USB drive. How do I, I encrypt it? Here's a label maker. That's what you do. You just label it so. So really, I mean, that's this story would not have happened. Jason Bourne was not doing this anymore, right? We have no reason to believe he would have picked up the mantle. And that's a major flaw in this story. They well, did and- try, though, to give us a lot of quiet scenes of him in hotel rooms looking sad. That's, sort of the mirror. Having- that's having- not motivation. No, but I mean, they at least addressed it. <laughs> well, no, but they they did try to play up this whole, you know, when Nikki's like, you know, he's like, well, like I don't care, and she's like, no, because you're a patriot and you do the right thing, and so they're they're ramping up some new black ops program that's even worse than anything before. So it's you know, suddenly it's his burden to take on to this mission because she feels he's you know he's a good guy so he's going to want to set things right and to me that was just you know you could it was the writing just trying to how can we push him towards that and it, yeah pete to your point it, exactly there was nothing internal for him he got pushed into a place where he now had to deal with this situation but there was nothing of his own you know character that was driving him to this well, and the problem with that is that they, if, if that's the case, if that's the stakes that they're setting up, they're literally trying to convince us that everything we learned about David Webb slash Jason Bourne in the first three movies, he didn't actually learn. And that, so that they can set up this new plot. And it, in general, if that's the stakes, that's thin. And the other thing is if you're setting up the stakes to be about revenge – if you want your protagonist's revenge to be the central motivator of the story, that's pretty difficult for the audience to go along with as well. I, it, 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 that's not his character either. That's contrary as well. So there's just all these things that just kind of lose it in the story. Uh, and it, it just it didn't work. Well, I, I think the other piece about this is sort of where we are as a society and w- where we were when the, you know, the first three Bourne movies came out in the early 2000s. And what I think you've got going on there, why people may have really connected with that, is you've got a soldier returning from war, I mean, type of thing, who has been, you know, sort of metaphorically transformed into a new person and now comes back to, you know, America and can't find his place because he's now somebody different. And I think that was something when, uh, you know, at that time was something that people could really identify with, with a lot of soldiers coming back from overseas and trying to fit in and sort of having this dual life and trying to figure out who they are again. Uh, I think that dynamic connected with a lot of people with where our country was at that time. Now they tried to make this, you know, fit in with, you know, contemporary issues by trying to shoehorn this whole like deep dream, you know, privacy, the CIA spying on everybody thing that just 
you know, didn't connect. We've got that subplot going on combined with the, you know, the born, you know, revenge plot. And those two things just didn't really weave themselves together in a coherent way. We had two different stories going on that I felt just were both really clunky. That's the, the if, if 1.7 billion monthly active Facebook users tells us anything, it's that the general populace does not care about the CIA relationship with social media. And they tried to make that a major force of this film, and that was a problem. It's, it's like they think it's an issue because people talk about it being an issue. But people live with the issue, so it's not an actual thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe, and, and, and let me let me clarify that because I th- I think that's that's true. I mean, there's this whole thing between the the difference between feeling a thing and thinking a thing and and knowing a thing is a fact. <laughs> there there are differences, but if we feel it strong enough, maybe it becomes a fact, right? This is uh, the, this is the our lesson from the uh, Republican convention, uh, according to John Oliver. If you haven't watched it, it's fantastic. Um, but the uh, the the real issue I, I think here is that there is it, it ended they had to be so overt in the in the technology discussion um, that having this between the the you know the leader of Deep Dream Facebook and the leader of the CIA was just nonsensical. It was why, but this is not a born story. Uh, you're right, and the exposition and all of the technology had a lot of trouble. It was so blatantly clear it was so like we need everyone to understand so like actual computer files end with linked to jay born like that's not how (laughs) any computer files work as we know from like mr robot like it's weird to have this film exists in a post Mr. Robot move or world where like computers don't light up and go beep beep boop beep boop when they're finding new information and and they also can't uh predict where motorcycles are going to go. But I'll put that to the side. <laughs> that being said, though, I don't think that people really... I like some of the idea behind it because I think smarty pantses and well-read people know the how much Facebook is taking away, how much of our privacy we're giving away willingly, willingly to social media. I don't think the majority of people really understand that, though. But this movie didn't help them understand that. No. I mean, do you think people are going to walk away from this movie going, oh, I really should stop doing things on Facebook? God, I need to go f- fix my Facebook privacy settings. Thank God for this movie. No, you would just look around for all the cameras that are constantly on you, apparently. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair <laughs> enough. That's a good point. But I mean, I like that it brought up the point. You're right, though, starting with Steve, it did use it in a weird ham-handed. It, there were a couple good ideas within this. The idea of you can't exist without being a part of us, so come back into the fold, come out of the cold. The the amount of times people are saying this isn't revenge, and it clearly was. There were some things going on, but none of them were followed up on. I completely agree. This is this is uh, you actually made my point, Tommy, because we live in an era where uh, you know Mr. Robot is a thing, and Mr. Robot is notoriously good at at showing us the implications of our lives with technology, and it does yeah. so in a way that's fantastically dramatized and still authentic. And this movie violates so many core tenets of technology; they make it such a fantastical thing. It's have I talked about Gelman Amnesia on on this? show before 
Gelman, so. Gel Murray Gelman was a physicist, and he came he came up with this concept around uh, amnesia, a, a kind of amnesia in the media, where like you open up a newspaper and you'll read a story that is in your field. Like for you guys, like Tommy will get in and he'll read a story about um, about the L.A. and the, the film Being industry. Good with chicks, right, oh, exactly. Right, right. <laughs> the film industry, as I said, and it's all factually wrong. Like it's ridiculous, and Tommy yeah. knows that it's ridiculous because he's invested in the community. He's a professional in the field, and he knows that this is wrong. This is factually in error. But then turns the page and reads something in uh, about you know international relations and says, "Oh, well, that's really amazing that this thing must be true." You forget oh, that, that right trusting too much. Yeah, right because the source. It, right it, because if this international relations thing, why is it right when the thing that you knew on the pa- page before was so very wrong? Well. Huh. This film, because they got the technology in the beginning so very wrong, so wildly wrong, and put it in such a fantastical universe of fake technology, that it makes it really difficult to take anything else they say in this film uh, around our technological uh, culture and then they take seriously at on. all. That's a really exactly. Good point. They very good fail. Point. So yeah. that was, that's the point I was trying to make. And it extends to the rest of the story, too. I mean, that's something that I think we were willing to forgive in the initial born movies because we just didn't know. It wasn't the, you know, the amnesia concept that you're talking about is totally applicable to this movie because they're doing things wrong. But the world of identity and supremacy and to some point even legacy and ultimatum is a lot is foreign to so many people that they were willing to buy into the spy aspect of the CIA there. Yeah, that's a great that's a great. A great connection. Which I, I think that the idea that there is always going to be in the next born movie another person higher up in the chain that he can somehow connect his memories to. Uh, this time it's Tommy Lee Jones, um, who also had some direct piece of treadstone uh, that he needed to uh, he needed to go to him and end the circle there. So the next CIA. Uh, bad guy uh, connected to the next female CIA person who will help Bourne is going to be in Jason <laughs> Bourne, David Webb, knockdown part seven. Well, well, here's the thing is Nikki tells him, oh, they're they're doing it again. And it's even worse than Treadstone. And Tre- Treadstone and, you know, Blackbriar were all about like these brainwashed secret agents. Iron Fist is just about, oh, we're getting into people's computers. They're not even related topics. It's not like, oh, they're starting up the program again, which is what she made it sound like. It's completely different topic. I don't even know if Tommy Lee Jones' character even had any knowledge or involvement in Treadstone or Blackbriar because he seems to be in a completely different field or well maybe as, as a supervisor he was aware of it but he wasn't directly involved as the other directors were in the prior films this is just again where we try to pull Jason Bourne in by saying oh they're the CIA's doing bad things again but it didn't connect to him personally and, and they went out of their way to demonstrate his ineptitude in technology in a specific sequence with Alicia Vikander it yes. was ridiculous oh yes all i have to say is tony gilroy why have you forsaken us <laughs> well, that's what i, I should have known say, i felt i felt yeah. like that if tony gilroy and his brother dan had been involved in this that it would have been much smarter and much better and the fact that uh, that they're not, I think, said a lot. And the fact that Paul Greengrass opted to uh, write this with his editor, uh, uh, Christopher oh. Rouse, I, I think uh, 
he kind of was just a, a strange choice. I mean, the director he, and the editor wrote it. <laughs> yeah, he, yes. Like, Paul, Paul wrote it with his editor, who's been working with him since at least since uh, Born Supremacy. So then there's no one else to talk to. Oh, that seems really dangerous. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's, that's, the, it's a that's strange the epitome choice. of not enough eyes to tell you if things are going wrong. The person that starts it and the person that ends it. <laughs> Yikes. I think well, it's also uh, strange, uh, as a side note, that uh, what uh, Tony Gilroy has instead gone on uh, to work on is The Great Wall. <laughs> oh, see? Goodness. So, who knows? Maybe, maybe there will be uh, more to that film now. I think I the CIA is behind all of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think it's good to bring up Gilroy here because I think that this actually, I think that this movie highlights actually how smart potentially legacy really was because you talk about Iron Hand and how they're trying to reference the fact that they're doing the same. Steve, you said that they're doing the same thing all over again. Well, at least legacy was that it was a variation on the theme and potentially if they really wanted to go the Jeremy Renner, Aaron Cross direction, they could have pushed that further and that was Tony Gilroy. But, you know, there was, I mean, Legacy wasn't 100% great either. There were problems there, but it, it had a creative leap that was on the same theme. This is just a complete miss target, it feels like, in terms of the Bourne franchise. It felt like they could have come up with something interesting by actually involving or by tying this somehow to Legacy and actually kind of building more into the world and and that's that's kind of what i was hoping that they would be doing is is finding a way to involve us in all these other operatives who might be out there and uh and and kind of create a bigger world for jason and uh they they just you know they pulled what so often happens they just it's they they pretended the last film didn't happen right and you have to wonder if any of that has to do with politics right because of how everything happened with everyone involved so when you think about paul greengrass and obviously now we've talked about how how much his hand was on this movie what what did he do well what what did he leave behind Okay, the whole thing in the whole thing in Athens, that whole rioting scene. I thought that's where he's that's his strength is those large scale like you know mass crowd riot action scenes, you know, and maybe it was because there was such clunky dialogue between Matt Damon and Julia Stiles that that looked better. But there was just just the way you know as they're going through the crowd tracking that, and you've got all this chaos going on around them. That I was like, oh, okay, we're here. We're this is these are the things that I remember enjoying about Born Supremacy and Born Ultimatum. We've got this sort of large scale chase scene going on, and, and then we've got the car chase in Vegas. And I, those felt, you know, I I got sucked into those. And to me, that's where he works well. That and the the hand to hand combat, the the shaky cam didn't bother me this time. I was all in it. But for me, it was that we're in the middle of the the police and the protesters in Greece, and that just to me worked really well. I was really enjoying that sequence. I agree completely. I mean, that's where, again, when I'm leaning a little bit more um, positive is because whenever those things started, and really so much of the plot was just like, uh, we have to talk for a little bit. And then look, a foot chase. Like that was sort of the way that the film was made um, or written or conceived. That stuff was still really on point, And I love that. And I'm glad that you brought up, uh, as I had very, you know, barely glanced on, the shaky cam stuff really had more of a sense of place for me than some of his other movies have in the past. Uh, it didn't bother me at all. 
I really, well, I actually oh my kind gosh, of, you guys are killing me. Are, now, are you guys talking about it during the fight scenes, or because when they were talk, when they when he used the shaky cam to look at his cell phone, or to look at you know a, a, a computer screen, and the camera couldn't catch a frame. Oh. Yes, it was out of focus. <laughs> and and the if you go back and watch the the shaky cam fight scene in the apartment in the first movie and you watch the shaky cam fight scene in the apartment, the tragedy of shaky cam fight scene in the apartment. They might as well have just turned it on to snow on the screen because you can't you couldn't see anything by comparison, right? The the first movie, it was remarkably in place to your to your vernacular steve i I was able to connect with that very much it was very intimate uh but it was fast and yet i could keep up with what was going on and i mean he very well in that film set the stage and and changed a lot of uh, of movies to come after it by by employing this technique and doing it so well in that movie and it has just gone completely downhill it was off the rails in this movie i and and I'll, i'll i would love to hear comments on that i i just clearly we saw a different cut of the film maybe but the the thing that i had i agree with you uh with the, the just back to the grease riot thing i agree with you he does have a a real knack for for putting a, a presence in big riots the problem i had with it beyond the fact that the dialogue was insipid was that it would they had such a calm and collected walk through the middle of this battle of the five armies melee of flaming Molotov cocktails and things flying around. And yet there they are, Bourne and Julia Stiles. They're kind of talking and whispering and everything's they're having a little little tete-a-tete. And there's a, like a war going on in the streets around them, which just seemed ridiculous to me. It was just that, <laughs> again, that, that sense of as soon as you put uh, the need to really capture humans uh, and, and move the story along, it, it falls apart. It, it felt like a, a video game to that degree in where you're traveling along through these huge melees like you talk about. And every so often you're going to have an instance where uh, you're going to bump into uh, one of the bad guys or even a good guy. And you're going to have a conversation and everyone's going to hear it until you move on to the next thing. But the scene, the riot, the the loud thing that's happening remains the same. It, it just it, it, it wasn't very real. They just I, there was no way they were going to be able to have that level of intimate conversation and move the, the, the story forward. They needed to go into a dark alley or they needed to sneak inside a building or something because we could see people throwing things on fire behind them at every angle. And it it took me so far out of the movie. It's spy 101 to always have a lav mic on your person <laughs> at all times. Right. Yeah. And, and another spy 101 thing is anytime that you want to meet anyone, make sure that you give them a note to meet you in a very large area where we can create one of these scenes. so that And no one will follow them. And no one will remember that every time you've done this, you've somehow skirted around the issue. This is so common with <laughs> spies that uh, where are they going to meet him? Okay, we'll, we'll, I'll get to Paddington Park then. Matt Damon shows up. He's uh, he's a bit older, um, but he's still Jason Bourne, still fighting. It's a testament to how much I like Matt Damon and how much I like the idea of Matt Damon in this character. Although he doesn't talk at all and he's very... It's a dower off, like we've talked about in other films. Uh, I still just, even without more character development, and I didn't really care about this next search that he was going on, I still just was rooting for him the whole time and was kind of psyched to see him be Jason Bourne. Well, the dower off thing is interesting to me. I don't think there was actually one smile at all in this movie. Oh, you didn't stick around for the blooper? You didn't stick around for the blooper reel? (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I would <laughs> challenge you guys to uh, to say that there was something that was actually pleasant, a, a pleasant mood efforted by any of the actors in this film. No, it does definitely suffer from a lack of any kind of levity. Any, I mean, I guess Tommy Lee Jones brings some maybe accidentally with some of his weird line readings. Him and the, uh, him yeah. in the restaurant with the Facebook guy. I think he was he was yeah. sarcastically happy at some point. Yeah, gotcha. Sarcasm. That I, uh, I I I'm on I'm I'm on Tommy's bandwagon with Matt Damon. I even though I the whole time I was rooting for him to just say to somebody, you know, I was happier in Greece. And just take off and just leave the film. Um, <laughs> but he never did it. That was a disappointment. But I do like Matt Damon so much. And I, you know, just researching the film, I watched every bit of Matt Damon talking about the movie and then talking about his mom, the teacher, and then talking about his dog. And I just, you know, how his wife and kids roll all over him when he goes home. Like, all these things exist. And I found myself delighting in those as well. So I just find him uh, ridiculously charismatic. And I would watch him in this uh uh, I'm glad I saw him in this, even though I'll go watch other Matt Damon things in the future. So. I felt at a certain point, he <laughs> I was waiting for him to just say, I'm just getting too old for this. I'm done. And just, you know, because he's like, I don't need to be doing this. You know, I, I think I would have liked that bit of levity for Matt Damon in the role. Because I don't recall in the other, I, I don't recall the, the mood being so serious and all the other ones. I thought there were some, there were some lighter moments throughout and maybe that came through because he had a relationship with another character and we we don't have that interplay you know we have you know in the prior two films he's we've got uh joan allen is is pam landy and they've got sort of a little you know give and take that they have back and forth uh and then we have uh run oh gosh. The run. yes yes uh the, the girl yes remember her name. in, in yeah. the first two and in this one he doesn't really have anybody to interact with that he can trust or that he's that he feels is on his side really cuz Nikki gets taken out of the picture fairly early. Well, and that and was see, supposed to be Alicia I'm... Vikander, right? What? Alicia Vikander was supposed to be that person that was going to be his light at the end oh. of the tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. He never he never took the bait it but seemed yeah. like even for a second. Yeah. Unfortunately, but yes, I think that was supposed to be the idea. They were only on screen together for like a minute and a half. And 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 here's the 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 sort of betrayal is that I went in really hoping for a Matt Damon Julia Stiles film. I adore yes. Julia Stiles. Yes. I that I was so <laughs> mad uh, it, when she was off in this film. I I, I wanted to stand up and shout Allowed a boisterous yawp, but she didn't even after that scene. That whole scene was so she didn't do particularly well. No, even she the didn't, limited but stuff I she like had. Her. I, I do like too. Her. I liked her in every other movie other than this. Yes. I think it's fitting. I think it's fitting that uh, in the in the Bourne books, um, of which obviously you know they they went completely in different directions from the books, other than the titles. But we had Identity, Supremacy, Ultimatum, and Legacy. The next one in line is actually called Betrayal. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think ends up being quite fitting with the film. <laughs> <laughs> We've already talked about the uh, the asset being that he's uh, he's an asset in anything that he plays. Do you guys have any comments about Vincent Castle? I think it's uh, fitting that they didn't even bother giving him a name. Do we do we have a count of all the times he's been he's been a, an asset of some sort? I you know I started looking at it I I don't I haven't seen all the movies but I mean like Ocean's Twelve and what was he in Child Forty Four I mean we talked about it but that movie was totally was memorable. probably some bad Russian I, yeah right I mean he's he's kind of a 
as a criminal element. He was the train. <laughs> <laughs> That's a deep cut. Anyway, this is for me. He was just so hand glove in this role that I, I you know, I, I he's of course he's the thug. I thought he was neat though. I like that. I, I like that he wasn't named. I like that we didn't get. I mean, we got obviously a little bit of not character development, but backstory from him. But I like a guy that is always like he won't give up the shot. And when they're like, you've got to get out of there, the police are, he's like, negative, because he wants to go. And he just, in a normal voice, says, copy that, while, like, running up eight flights of stairs. I thought he was kind of neat. Oh, he's like good that, at I like that it. kind of stuff. He's yeah. good at being that asset. We definitely know that from what he's done. I think what's interesting, too, about that character, though, is what's his motivation? Does he have some sort of revenge, too? Why does he so badly want to end? He, uh, which, I, is because I just watched Born Ultimatum, but uh, Tommy Lee Jones says... Uh, that uh, oh yeah when uh, when but born you know we released all the Blackbriar files you know it exposed a lot of agents and this one he was in Syria or whatever and he got ar- arrested he was it took us two years to get him out of there so this there's this whole revenge thing but I just watched Ultimatum a couple days ago and Pam Landy is the one that takes the Blackbriar files and feeds them into the fax machine and sends them off everywhere I mean yes born stole them out of the safe but I'm like. Bourne wasn't the one that went public with those. That was someone within the CIA. So I guess I'm getting nitpicky on story details because he probably thinks it's Bourne or he was told that it was Bourne's fault. That motivation I thought worked really well. To then try to close the circle by making him the guy that killed Bourne's father I thought was just going way too far with that. And revenge, again, is that as the central plot of a CIA spy story seems like a very weak motivation for any of the characters for me. Yeah, him turning out, can I say one more, him turning out to be the guy in that incessant parade of uh, that flashback that we saw 19,000 times, (laughs) and the whole time you're like, it's not the brown person, it's not the other brown person, just show us who's in the car. And then they finally do, and it's, uh, what's his name? Vincent Vincent Castle. 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 Asset. Asset. Uh, that felt like when it turns out that in the first Batman movie, it was the Joker <laughs> that killed. And you're like, oh, what? This is dumb. I completely agree with that. That was just a dumb, like, final, like, oh, I get it now, but it's so clunky and doesn't make any sense. And then he looked at Agreed. Jason and said, you ever dance in the dance with the devil in the pale <laughs> moonlight? Yeah. Exactly. You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, we talked a lot about how we don't like that whole Facebook deep uh, deep dream story, but how about uh, Riz, Riz Ahmed? Is that how I say his name? I, CEO? I'm assuming so. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, the whole storyline was terrible, but I, I did want to just mention Riz Ahmed because this is kind of a big year for him. He's, he's in this film. Uh, oh, I'm crazy about the night. Yeah, I haven't started it yet, but yeah, he's uh, opposite John Turturro in the night of right now, and he's going to be in. Uh, he's he's a central character, a uh, 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 Bodie Rook, an ace imperial or an ace uh, uh, rebel pilot uh, in Rogue One. Uh, so he's he's got three big things. We're going to see more of his face. It it was uh, an unfortunate, uh, un- unfortunately stupid uh, storyline in this film, but you know. Yeah, and with everything that he's doing, I don't think he's going to be remembered for this movie. I don't think he's going to have to worry about that. No, yeah, and he's he is also. I mean, he's he's more known right now as as a he's a British rapper, and uh, his his stage name is Reese MC. Uh, I have not heard. He is. Yeah, yeah. I have. I didn't know yeah, that. I have not heard anything uh, of his yet. But uh, anyway, that's uh, of of note. If you guys have not started or are thinking about getting into the night of, it is wonderful. 
It's on the yeah, list. It's, on it's really HBO. good. It's on HBO, written co-written by uh, Richard Price, one of my favorite yeah. authors. It's really, really strong. And what's it about? Um, uh, a young Muslim kid, who's him, uh, gets involved with a situation and then wakes up not remembering things and is charged with murder. He doesn't think he does it, and we're trying to figure it out. It's probably, knowing Richard Price, it's going to end up being about crime and the failings of the current justice system. Being told very, very honestly. Or you could just listen sort to of, the Serial podcast. Right. Right. Exactly. We talked a little bit about the politics of this movie and getting it made and whether or not that affected what's going on with it. Uh, do we need to talk about uh, the fact that that uh, Matt Damon said that they should, there shouldn't be another movie after Ultimatum and then now there is this thing that we watched yesterday and today? Well, as I recall, he said, you know, back... You know, I think when Born Legacy was starting to get off the ground, he said he wasn't going to come back for another Born movie unless Paul Greengrass was attached. Right. So, because he worked with him on these two, on Supremacy and Ultimatum, and then on Green Zone, they worked together. So, I don't know if this was Paul Greengrass giving this project together because, you know, he wrote it and directed it. So, it seems to be more of his project than anyone's. And I guess maybe because he was committed to it, Damon came along because he you know, apparently enjoys working with and him. He was on as producer. Yeah. We've talked about a bit about Paul Greengrass's effect uh, or his touch from the script and also from the direction. If we move on down the line to camera, what do we see there? Is it still Paul Greengrass or what does Barry Aykroyd bring to this movie? Back in Ultimatum, I, I know that there were script issues and they were kind of, you know, the, the people had talked about the fact that they were kind of writing it as they went along, trying to figure out where the story was going. I think that, you know, they managed to come up with a story that worked quite well uh, for me, from my perspective. I like that one quite a bit. Um, and Paul Greengrass was able to just kind of direct and he kind of uh, took the reins and, and managed it well and was able to find the the path and, and to keep all the kinetic motion in the story throughout, um, even though the story was being figured out as they went along. Here, and I don't know if it's because he was um, he was also directing it and writing it along with his editor who was editing it and writing it. Uh, I, I don't know the the scope of the story, if they had finished it beforehand or if they were in the same predicament um, that they were back on Ultimatum. But it, it really felt like uh, Paul Greengrass still had his hand, like, like we've already said. I think he had his... Uh, he showed his hand well when he was directing all the action sequences, all that stuff. For me, from my perspective, it worked. It was entertaining to watch. It, it kind of moved me through the film quite well. But it's the rest of the stuff. Uh, it just, I, I had a real sense that uh, it was just really clunky. And, and I just felt like um, he didn't know how to uh, direct the stuff well when he was uh, dealing with the... Um, uh, the other stuff, the actual storytelling that he had to write, and I, I, you know, the camera work in those particular scenes. I mean, it didn't, uh, it didn't stand out. I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. I guess it. I, I guess it was fine, but uh, I, I felt like they could have. Um, yeah, it just it really boils down to just a really poor script. I think overall. I mean, Barry Aykroyd's shot a number of his films, and uh, they all look great. This one, I I didn't have problems with the the jiggly monkey, the, all the shaky cam. I thought it worked fine, but um, I, I guess nothing really stood out. That's why I'm I'm starting to come around to thinking that the that the problem I had with the film, with the look of the film, was not necessarily Barry Aykroyd, but with uh, uh, but with Rouse and and his editing. I mean, it just I I really it just really felt 
kind of sloppy uh, because you look at Aykroyd's work and you look at, you know, you look at the big short, you look at Captain Phillips, you look at, uh, uh, for crying out loud, the Hurt Locker. I mean, all of these films have a degree of that sort of jiggly monkey that works uh, and and doesn't just kind of violate your your sense of, of action, uh, but actually puts you intimately into it. And I think that for me was lost in this film. And, and this film represents a degradation of that over the the five films in the series. So, um, you know, I, I'm feeling like I need to, to put less of the weight of that onto uh, Aykroyd, who, who clearly demonstrates he can do it well and, and, and you know, shoot competent action um, and, and more to just the way it was all pieced together. Although interestingly, he didn't he didn't shoot um, the last two films. He, Oliver Wood shot Ultimatum, and I think uh, Supremacy. He shot all the so, first three. Yeah, he yeah, shot he so. shot all the first three. And it's good that you bring up Captain Phillips because I think it works really well there in Captain Phillips. Yeah, and that is both Greengrass and Aykroyd. Um, but for some reason, the translation doesn't work here. So I think putting it at the editor's door might make a lot of sense here. It, it the the problem was is I think when we start reaching out to the 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 technology and Captain Phillips, the raw nature of what we're looking at there seems to make sense. If we apply that sort of lens to what we're doing here in a Bourne movie, it, 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 and this sounds like a pun, but it shakes out in the wrong direction. And I think that's, that's kind of how I felt watching it. And we just, just, we can't forgive the focus issues. They just let so many focus problems through to the final cut of this film that drove me batty. Is that on purpose? I noticed a lot of focus issues, not a lot, probably like five or six, especially on, um, what's his name? Tommy Lee Jones. In his scenes, in like not even action scenes, but like sitting and talking scenes, the only thing that I can possibly, I mean, these are zillion dollar films and this has to go through so many people. The only thing that I can think of to make that work is that he changed the composition of the shot in editing. That he only had it in a wide and then instead was like, nope, it's not working. So he had to digitally zoom in and then settle with the buzziness that happens. Because that kind of stuff doesn't get through these that's things. That's what it felt like to me too, Tommy. I think that's interesting. It's It's got to be because he was like, the importance of this shot from this different angle that I'm making up is just my personal opinion, is more important than the fact that some people will notice that this one shot is a little bit out of focus. But it wasn't just that. I mean, it was. It, there were a lot of eyeballs that didn't lock on a pulled focus. I mean, just a lot. When you when you can tell they're trying to lock on an eyeball and a, after, you know, pulling from a wide and they just, they didn't quite get there, you know, and it just, oh, it bugged me so much. And, and as a side note, just to be mitigating Magoo again, uh, this one Unlike the last two Bourne movies, uh, not including Legacy, uh, I actually felt there was a better sense of place for a lot of the crazy action sequences. There are times like the magazine fight when he's when he has a mag. Which movie was that? When he rolls up and has a magazine, it's an apartment fight. First one where Bourne is. Identity. That's the first one. Oh, that's that's Doug Lyman. Um, well, in the other two. There are times when I've been frustrated with Paul Greengrass because it's like, you're doing what I want. You're doing a practical effect, like a practical, really well done, full out action sequence. But then when you cut it to bits with 19 cameras and you cut it so much, usually directors, I feel, do that because they're faking it. 
Like they're, cause they're cutting around the fact that it doesn't really look that good in the medium, but his does. And so sometimes I lose a lot of patience with Paul Greengrass for that kind of stuff. For some reason, this movie worked better for me in a lot of the frenetic action sequences, including the dumbbell fight. Um, much better. I, I knew where I was. I knew what was happening. I kind of dug the way that whenever he would throw a punch, the camera would move a teeny bit as if it had been punched. Like it, it worked for me in a very sort of primal kind of way. I liked it. So that's me. That Dumbo, Dumbo fight was so terrible. Well, take out the fact that the, really, you thought the whole thing, I mean, take out the fact that someone can stand up after being hit with a dumbbell. I think he missed and maybe he got did not miss. And you know why it's he didn't cool. miss? Because he got hit. I don't care where you get hit with a 10 pound dumbbell. You get hit anywhere, you're going to break something. And then you then don't remember the in, the, guy in the beginning of the film, the- you see Jason Bourne take dumbbell into it. <laughs> <And laughs> Am I the only one that saw that? That's so weird. And then yes. the guy picks up the dumbbell and throws it at him. So he got hit with yeah. a 10 pound dumbbell twice. Yeah, well, I thought stupid. So that, okay, fair enough. I guess I just mean the choreography and the way that the camera danced around was actually more satisfying and more comprehensible to me. Obviously different than you guys than in past Paul Greengrass Bourne movies. Well, the past And yes, I'm trying to get hired by Paul Greengrass (laughs) for something. (laughs) This one's for you, Paul. For me, the past ones really had to do with about visibility. And I think we've already talked about it, so I don't want to go too deep into it. But it, it, the the shaky cam thing before didn't seem to lose the actual visibility of what was happening. Where I felt lost a lot in what was going on here. And we talk about the uh, we've some somebody had mentioned the the car the the car chase it being a good thing to to come back in. I didn't really get a sense of where I was a lot of times in that, um, and it it just wasn't as great a car chase as some something that would should be equally disorienting in the earlier movies where it was, you know, well lit and well framed in a way that I knew where they were going and what they were doing and why they were chasing each other the way that they were. Fair enough. Which car chase are you talking about? Are you talking about the uh, well, I'm talking about the the, the, Vegas? The, the Vegas one in particular for this for this movie uh, versus like in the first movie when they're in the tiny car uh, with uh, run the little run all around town, um, which yeah, was a great I, I mean, that was an epic. I think it's one of the best. Yeah. One of the best in in recent memory. And and, and uh, partly you know. because And again, different director though. Yeah. I feel like you guys are going back to the first one so much. Do you guys think that Doug Lyman did a better oh, job I do. maybe than Paul? Hands Greenberg? down. Oh, really? Hands down. Absolutely. Okay. Very yes. interesting. Okay. Yeah. No, every time. Um, but I think one of the things that's so great about that early car chase is that just the use of, of contrast, the fact that he actually demonstrates his skills as a driver uh, in that crappy beat up car uh, against a whole city of, you know, police chasing him. Uh, and in this film, what is the car he gets into? Essentially a race car, right? He gets into a, into <laughs> charger, a charger, a right? Yeah. Um, so like it, it's, <laughs> it was ridiculous. So well, and you want to talk about physics problems? How many times is that SWAT vehicle going to go through stationary vehicles? It that's just not possible that way. No, it was. It, no. it didn't feel real <laughs> it's to me. Not and, that kind of car. It's not a tank. The the the, sh- the it, it didn't feel like. I go back to great car chases, right? I mean, we did a whole series on great car chases, right? That we did Ronin, one of my very favorites. It feels so fast and kinetic. Uh, Born One uh, Identity feels so fast and kinetic. This one feels so slow. It's like they're they were just in 
in traffic. And like, luckily they were able to race a little bit between lights. And then there was the big explosion and then they put the car into the sign and, and it just, it, it did not have that same sense of visceral, uh, kinetic passion and power. What other things should we talk about in terms of the production? I feel like I'm the loudest right now. And so I get the last <laughs> word. I don't want that to be the case. I kind of like the movie. <laughs> okay. There we go. That's better. <laughs> Um, so I was talking to a guy I know who ha- happened to be a stunt driver in the car chase in Vegas. And so, wow. so I, That's amazing. I, got some st- I got some statistics from him because I thought it was kind of fun when we were chatting about this. So in the process of making this, regardless of what you think about how the car chase works, um, it was supposed to be five days filming in, on the strip and it ended up being 19 days. They, um, they ended up... Uh, totaling 14 squad cars and uh, i think what they would do is they would kind of kind of pull pieces off and kind of keep rebuilding other squad cars to kind of keep them working over the course of those days Uh, they had five limos it was supposed to be five limos it ended up being it sounded like 10 limos and what they were doing with the limos uh, is they would actually cannon them into the traffic So when the car, when this, I, I think the SWAT like runs into a limo and it, it runs into a bunch of cars. I can't exactly remember where the limo is, but I remember. Yeah, yeah so they cannon the limos into traffic. Um, they ha- because it can't drive. You mean? Uh, no, just just so it moved fast enough to total other cars. Nobody was actually oh, in them. I get they it. just it was like a cannon. They just like blasted it into other vehicles. Jesus. They had three okay. SWAT vans that they used. They had three of the Dodge Chargers that Bourne used. Um, they had, and then they had what they called the barrier cars. Those were all the ones that just got hit. And they had 70 to 80 other of those cars <laughs> that they used in the wow. course of all the destruction, uh, down the strip. So, uh, so there you go. That's uh but it was all that real. Was a, it was all, it was all just genuine car stunt work that I they did. I love that. I love days. the practicality of it. Yeah. Honestly, that was a pretty brutal. I had a great time scene. with the car chase. I, I didn't have yeah. the issues. Uh, with it that Pete did, and I—I I mean, I've enjoyed. I—I'm the guy who enjoys Paul Greengrass's uh, films more than Identity. I thought they got the films got better uh, as we went along, and I enjoyed all the uh, all the um, the the car chase in. I think it was the third one that had the car chase, or was it the second one that had the car chase in the tunnel. I think that was I the second one. Was. Yeah, but yeah, that's the second one because that's where the third yeah. one picks up. Is he's fleeing that? See, Pete, and he just did a very quiet mic drop right there in response to your loud protestations about the film well and so i you know to andy's point because this this goes back to one of the things it's obviously so hard to talk about on on so many of these things because i i I totally get how much work and destruction goes into this and how much of a devastating economic loss uh this takes on you know casinos like the aria when they have to be shut down overnight for for things like this i totally get I totally get it, and yet it just saddens me when I don't get that sense of of you know where where they work so hard and they, to do so much, and I just it just does not come across for me. Obviously, I, I'm I'm a lone voice in in this, but uh, uh, it just does not come across with that sense that that I know they wanted it to, and that I feel like it should have. Maybe not shooting in heavy traffic in Las Vegas would have been a start. Well, the heavy traffic thing is an issue, and no, I I, I don't think you're a lone voice because I, I I definitely agree with you in that in that respect. It, it, I I agree it shows commitment and investment, but I'd like value in that too. And the story value for me wasn't there in this particular movie. Uh, how about uh, sound, music? Uh, did you guys notice themes? Anything that was working for you there? 
it's all the same. Uh, they, they, I like that they bring back the themes again that John Powell uh, had used before. Uh, it all felt very Bourne-esque, although it also, uh, I don't know, it kind of hit a point where it felt like it was in repeat mode with the music. Even And, you know, I, I, I like how Moby comes back and, and does remixes of Extreme Ways for every single film. Um, but I also kind of was, uh, it, it felt that way with John Powell also, it felt like he'd come back and kind of done a remix of his scores and just kind of, a, you kind of got like a little highlights and a little, you know, a little bit of a mix going on. It didn't, it didn't feel new, uh, but it still felt comforting. That's fair. That's right. And I think that you, that's kind of indicative of, of, <laughs> of the film. If you are a lover, you have to be a true lover of the Jason Bourne franchise and this, and the mythology to find joy in this movie. I think, I don't know. Does, does anyone, I don't know. That? I don't know if that's true. Cause I think true lovers uh, of this, of the franchise may be more offended with the, with the, uh, what they did here. I think, uh, well, the, you know, well, uh, and Andy, you mentioned that they departed from the books here. Is that, is that, uh, Oh no, not here. They've departed. Okay. They've departed from the books. Like, like in the middle of the ago. first movie. <laughs> yeah. It's so far oh, off the rails from the books. I mean, legacy still is a Jason Bourne story. Um, this, let me read you the uh, description of, of the fifth film, <laughs> what this could have been. Jason Bourne takes a mission to rescue his only friend in the CIA, Martin Lindros, who disappeared in Africa while tracking shipments of uranium. Once safely back in America, Lindros persuades Bourne to help track the money trail of terrorists buying the nuclear material in Odessa. But once there, Bourne is hampered by confusing flashbacks of unfamiliar places and events, and he wonders if someone is brainwashing him in order to throw him off the trail, or worse, if the man he saved in Africa is really Martin Lindros. Now, Bourne must gather evidence while trying to stay one step ahead of the terrorists who won't let anyone stand in their way. Betrayal. Huh. It's like the the Manchurian CIA agent. Well, it, you're getting back into just your typical spy adventure movies, which is, but there's nothing wrong with that. But I think what made the Bourne franchise, make the Bourne sort of trilogy so nice was it was this guy's sort of self-discovery story. And it always came back to him and it was very character focused. And now this is trying to take it in that other direction, maybe more in alignment with the books of these very, you know, single story adventure, you know, here's some espionage, here's the big bad, here's the big terrorist pop. But we get that in James Bond. We get that in Jack Reed. We've got that in so many other places. Bourne had a unique place because it, it had something different. And if it loses that, again, I think it's just... It's diluted in it in a field of of, of better this was, films. Do you guys remember the uh, the single series, uh, a single season series? John Doe came out right around uh, Born Identity, uh, starred Dominic Purcell, pre Prison Break. Oh yeah, that's where he's got all the like weird whatever scars or whatever on his yeah, body, or right? Something and like so that, he right he's right he wakes up naked yeah. on an island. He has all these uh, all these fantastical abilities and strange scars and things. And that series also, as it got to the point where he started figuring out who he was, it was canceled. Uh, yeah, like there's th- this is a very fragile kind of story. I think to to do right and to do well and to maintain. And and I think this this film for me is a is an example of that. And and also an example of that in the hands of two guys who who maybe should have researched some of their ancillary details before they put them on screen. <laughs> well, do you think it's a fr- franchise ender? I mean, um, looking at the numbers, my my theater was packed. I I only had singles when I got there to find a way in. Anyone else? 
I, yeah, I saw it Thursday night, uh, and it was, I mean, for an, for an 8.30 showing Thursday night, uh, it, I mean, it was easily half the theater was full. I, you know, it, uh, it didn't sell out, but it was still, it was still pretty packed. Pete, you saw it, you saw it in the morning. How, yeah, there were what, eight. What was it like then? Oof. And we were oh. all sitting in the same row. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you're seeing the you're seeing the blue light yeah, special. That's right. That's right. Well, I I think the 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 franchise is a brand is going to bring in a certain amount, and then Matt Damon, you know, is going to bring in a certain amount. And I think, in general, you know, it it's going to satisfy people. Is it enough to to launch? You know, sort of a a new wave of born films. I don't know that it's going to do that because I, I I don't think they have the strength in the story that people are going to be clamoring for what happens next with him because it's just going to be he's he's left. You know, the CIA may try to bring him in there. You know, but there's no compelling need. There, you know, to me, this was an unnecessary film. It it you know had some high points, it had some disappointments, but overall, it wasn't really necessary to the franchise. And I think that's where it's going to leave things. It it didn't create enough momentum to to have a need for another film after this. Of ooh, what's going to happen next? I can't wait to see what his next adventure is or where you know the next story takes him. Because I think we're all sort of indifferent about where he is because he's probably going to go back to boxing in the desert. And he'll be fine with that, and I think everyone else would be fine with that. Too. Well, the person who won't be fine with that is Universal, uh, because right now, you know, this is on track to, uh, like I was saying um, uh, earlier before we started, uh, this is set to be the biggest opening day for the franchise uh, internationally. I mean, they're they're they said that opening day, it, yeah, it was going. They're they're estimating the weekend to crack hundred million internationally. So. It uh, it's on track to do well for the franchise, which uh, might uh, make Universal say, "Hey, let's figure out a way we can uh, get this guy back again." The roommate, we've got to know about <laughs> Jason Bourne's roommate. I'm telling you. <laughs> no, I had kind of, I, I, ironically, because I like his character and everything so much, especially at one point during the dual strangle off that he was happening with an asset in the tunnel. I was like, yeah. you know what? Part of me was like, what if he died? Yeah. yeah. Oh. I would have oh, wanted yeah. I would have wanted a much smarter movie and a much more of a not thrown in, oh right, the father thing. But like if he'd pulled a hand solo and finally like came to an end, because so much of the movie is about he's broken, he's tortured, he can't live life outside of this. He's just so torn apart. If he gets his final, final revenge, what if he can finally find peace? It was that would have been the uh, the Jason Bourne Julia Stiles movie that I wanted because it, it couldn't the the weight of that kind of a change could not have been held by the foundation of this film. Uh, Correct. But if if there's somebody to take over the mantle, I think it could it would be really great. Yeah, we'd yeah, have to see that kind of kind of psychic handoff. And that that would be interesting. That would be a, that would have we would have had a completely different conversation if that was uh, what had happened there. Well, so so the next one will be the Bourne synergy, where they bring Aaron Cross and Jason Bourne together for like a little face-off action. I oh, that's, that's interesting. That's what we need. I think I like they, that, that would be an interesting direction is to actually bring the two guys. In. Yes, so that would right. be that'd be interesting. After this glowing review that we're all giving you about Jason Bourne for the folks listening at home, uh, if you don't want to go see it based on all the crazy stuff that we've said here. We're starting a new segment on the film board that uh, works with a new appish thing called Flix Tape. Each of us thugs are going to present a streamable selection of uh, a 
movie that the current film board movie reminded us of or made us wish we were watching, which I think is going to be uh, accurate for our films here. You know, that sort of thing. So let's try it out. Steve, lead off our Jason Bourne flicks tape. What would you suggest for people to take a look at? So as I was thinking about this, I thought about the direction the Bourne movie was going with sort of more individualized story getting away from the character arc. And it reminded me a lot of a TV series, actually, Burn Notice, which has to do with a CIA agent who's been been burned. And so we have the balance between him trying to find, solve the mystery of who sort of burned him, and then he sort of gets pulled into helping ordinary people. And it plays out over several seasons, lots of discovering his past, and it, it just worked really well. And I thought that's almost the direction the Bourne franchise needs to go. And I thought, we don't need that from Bourne because we've already got it in Burn Notice. So it, it's a series that's available on uh, Netflix, and I think it ended a couple of years ago, so you can binge watch all the seasons. And Gabrielle Anwar and Bruce Campbell, they're, some of the performances of their careers, they're so good in that show. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, Andy, how about yours for Flix Tape? Well, thinking about spy movies and ones that uh, have great espionage, uh, are written really well, um, always leave you guessing, I, I went all the way to John Le Carre because, of course, he's come up with some of the greatest spy stories. And Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy was such a great adaptation, I thought, uh, the most recent Gary Oldman version, um, that I that was my recommendation. It's a, it's a really intriguing story um, with a lot of, uh, you know, double crosses and triple crosses and uh, really interesting cast of people all through the film. And you don't have to worry about any jiggly monkey camera. <laughs> and interesting and good story. And these things, these are things we didn't hear during tonight's call. <laughs> what were you going to say, Tommy? <laughs> right. Actually, yeah. Can I ask Andy two questions? Number you can, one. You can ask me one. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> um, if it's just one, it's John Le Carre. I believe that's how you say I've been pronouncing his name wrong my entire life. And The Spy Came In From The Cold is one of my favorite books. I always thought it was John Le Carre. Ugh. Let me go to how to pronounce to... dot com. <laughs> and then number two, the other question is, um, I've heard that that movie can be a little bit dense to figure out. Is that true? Or you had, this is the one with, um. Gary Oldman. Commission, Commissioner Gordon? Correct. Right. Um. The uh, it, I've heard that it can be a little bit tough to follow. It, Is that true? It can be as long as, but if you're paying attention while you watch it, I I found it uh, pretty uh, followable. Now, would I be able to repeat back the plot to you? No, because it's one of those ones where I get it, like, and then instantly it's over. I'm like, wow, that was really interesting. I I know what happened, but I couldn't tell you anymore because because okay, I've already cool. forgotten because it it's out. way too complicated. Well, that fairly seems a bit opposite from Jason Bourne. Um, uh, Pete, you have a spy movie for us? Oh, one of my very favorites. Again, when you talk about on-screen charisma, I have to go to Tony Scott's Spy Game. Um, This is uh, starring uh, Robert Redford, Brad Pitt, Catherine McCormick. Um, It's just a great story of CIA recruitment of assets who are in crazy places and they try to do all of the great spy stuff that you want spies to do and they look great doing it and they it, it's just it's one of those that I could watch anytime and uh, I, I think it's it's all of the things that I I want to celebrate when I see a movie uh, like the one we were talking about tonight that didn't stand up. Uh, so I, I think Spy Game is the one to watch. 2001, it's on Netflix. See it before they pull it off for some random reason. Oh, that's a good reason to get it. Uh, Tommy, how about you? 
Actually, Spy Game is a fun choice, especially because that's when Tony Scott was just getting into his fetishization of on-screen titles. Yes. <laughs> and, stuff. and so if, if you're ever watching a movie and you're like, wait, what time is it there? He'll freeze frame it and <laughs> tell you. Yeah, there's a lot of times where it's like, bump, bump, it's 9.35, two hours to go. And you're like, okay. That so is a great, reading. great reason to see it uh, by yeah, itself. Thank it's you. It's a lot Tom. of fun. Uh, my thing is Old Boy, the original. Uh, Spike Lee did an interesting follow-up. But uh, yeah, if I assume that if you're a film aficionado or you listen to this podcast, you've already seen the original Old Boy. Just in case you haven't, it's a Japanese film where a man wakes up imprisoned, having been kidnapped and trapped in a bizarre hotel room, and he's kept there for many, many years. And then he is suddenly released without any explanation. And only by trying to rebuild his past is he able to try to find out the answers for why all this happened. It's thrilling, it's scary, it's very exciting, it is very much an action film, and some of the answers he finds is horrifying. It seemed Bourne-esque for that kind of amnesia way. Oh, so does he get turned into a USB drive at the end? I thought you were talking about Lucy. (laughs) He does not, but I do. (laughs) And I've seen Old Boy, and I liked it, which is not uh, true about the movie that I picked for our flicks tape, which is Paycheck, which I've neither seen nor do I know if I like it. But uh, I Uh. chose it because it's involved with amnesia, and there's stuff that a guy has to do to piece his life back together, like Jason Bourne. Tommy? Tommy worked for that company. Am I right? Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's, It's based on a Philip. Philip K. Dick, short story. Um, it didn't work out for us. We, I was working for John Woo's company at the time. When we started making it, Ben Affleck, who was the lead, was the biggest star in Hollywood. By the time it wrapped, uh, he was so hated because of all the J-Lo controversy and all that stuff that we couldn't even feature his face on the poster. It was just a picture of him running with him faced away from the quote-unquote camera. For the thing. Wow, so yeah, pay, I had no memory pay, of that. That's crazy. Paycheck, paycheck. Did, we were on top of the world and then, yep. So that's why paycheck this is good. Work out that well. Because what you said about Old Boy is that if you're a film aficionado or you listen to this podcast, you've probably seen it. So regardless of whether you're a film aficionado or you listen to this pod, podcast, you probably haven't seen Paycheck. So I'm still happy about the fact that I'm putting it on our flicks tape. So it's, <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, going to come clean. Uh, that's, paycheck is actually a guilty pleasure of mine. I oh, I love it. It's got some really yeah, it's great. It's got some really great sequences yeah. in it. It does. Yeah. It does. That's awesome. So we have these five movies. We're going to put them on a flicks tape, and we're going to include them uh, with the show notes so that people can reference these movies if they uh, have been turned off so completely by our uh, our Jason Bourne comments throughout the show. Uh, and with that, unless anyone has anything else to say about this movie, I think we should take Jason Bourne and rank it. First name Jason, last name Bourne, after legacy Jeremy Renner was shorn, and now Damon, the one-time Martian is back, green grass at the helm, so keep your Dramamine stacked, and when I say tread, you say stone, rogue agent coming in, now his cover is blown, hit you, hit you with the chair leg just for a start, time to rake up David Webb on the Bourne flick chart, I miss you Pam Landy, I'm out. That's the business right there, that's the business. I would throw my mic on the ground, but it's very expensive. (laughs) (laughs) All right, start us off handy. All right, here we go. Jason Bourne or The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey. (laughs) I am going to watch The Hobbit over the Jason Bourne. Hobbit. Uh, Jason Bourne. Stephen Pete. 
Well, I I'm, I was waiting as like a gentleman does for Steve, but uh, I am I am <laughs> <laughs> I'm still I'm still thinking because I didn't I didn't walk out of the theater angry about Jason Bourne, but I don't know that I have a strong desire to see it, and I, I feel the same way about the Hobbit. I enjoyed it, but it's not like on my oh I have to watch it again list. But well, I'm I'm definitely the Hobbit. I'm, I'm going to say Jason Bourne. I'm going to say Bourne. Yeah. You're going to say Hobbit. I say Bourne, you say Hobbit. All right, next up, Jason Bourne or Everest? Everest. Oh. I will say Everest. Oh, no. Gosh. No, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh. I have to abstain. Oh, no. Nice. Oh, you do? I didn't see Everest. I wasn't oh, on that one. I, I'm going to say Everest. <laughs> okay. All right, uh, moving but along. I'm... Jason Bourne or the Monuments Men? Yep. I will say Jason Bourne here. Jason Bourne. <laughs> the Monuments Men. <laughs> Weird movie. I enjoyed oh. that movie, and I will I, fight I also, for it. Great. Why don't you marry it? <laughs> All right, I'm Jason Bourne. I... Is that a tie? I'm no, Jason Bourne. JJ, what were you? Bourne. All right, wow. Bourne takes it. Jason Bourne or Child 44? <laughs> I am Jason Bourne. on our list? <laughs> I am Jason Bourne as well. Oh, uh, or <laughs> Child Forty Four? I I have to abstain because I'm see definitely Child Forty Four. A train number just as a boy. It's cool. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Uh, I'm Jason Bourne. Okay, Jason Bourne. I was waiting for you to say that, Tommy. Jason <laughs> Bourne, or I the, have to. <laughs> Jason Bourne or place. the Wolverine? Wolverine. The Wolverine. Wolverine. Jason Bourne. I know I'm throwing that into the fire, but Jason Bourne. That's okay. Sometimes you do that. Thank you. Uh, that leaves us at number 39. 39 out of 48. Okay. Oof. God, not far enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's so surprising and disappointing for a movie involving Paul Greengrass and Matt Damon. Yes. Yeah. It's mostly disappointing that we didn't get to rank it against Black Hat. <laughs> <laughs> Black Hat. <laughs> I didn't, we didn't even talk about we didn't talk about the technology and uh, it, at enough detail to show just how stupid it was and we also I think we skipped Alicia Vikander did we not talk about her? We talked about her very slightly. Yeah. She was terrible. What should we say about her? Yeah, Andy said it. It was it's unfortunate. <laughs> she's she's I her think role she was is terrible very too. talented. I think she was intriguing but underused. Well, okay. Since we're talking about her, the pro. The, okay. <laughs> Allow me to unhinge. The biggest problem was that they, I just don't think they knew what to do with her and completely just bastardized her character in the third act um, when she could have been such a wonderful, uh, a wonderful liaison for Jason and then made her the betrayer and, and the unreliable uh, liaison at the very end of the film. And I think that just, that, that sucked all of the life out of what she could have, what she could have done. She was really poorly written and she was the foil for most of the ridiculous technology. She was very good at the beeps and boops. And the beeps and boops. Yeah. She was the master of the beeps and boops. Yeah, no, I think uh, potentially a different person could have shown the turncoat nature of the role better. But it, that could be the problem with the character, the, too. It's difficult to tell where the error is there. But the, the character ended up being very thin and unintelligible because of uh, something buried within what was going on with her role. Uh, anything else about Alicia? You know that she's Swedish. I didn't know that she was Swedish. Um, 
and a totally un untraceable accent for me. Uh, how about a letterboxed rating? Anyone? One and a half. I'm a one and a half as well. Half. Wow. I would give this two and a half. What's it out of? Seven. Out of five. Seven. It's out of seven? <laughs> no, it's out of five? Uh, I'll give it a three. Oh, so okay, that's no. uh, an average of 1.8. Oof. <laughs> that rounds to a two. <laughs> yeah, it does. Okay. That, I think, is probably the lowest rating that we've had since I've joined the film board, actually. Really? Yeah. Oh, you weren't here for the Hobbits, right? Oh, uh, that's right. That's before my time. Yeah. Yeah, the Battle of the Five Armies would have definitely uh, brought it down there for me. But uh, let's go somewhere new. Where do we go from here? Next month, uh, next month we're staying with the idea of war, right? A little bit lighter, though, perhaps? War Dogs? It better be lighter. Is that by the ha is that the Hangover director? I forget his name. I apologize. Paul Phillips? Something like that? Todd Phillips. Todd Phillips. Thank you. Yep. Um, next week, we are going to be uh, having a speakeasy with cinematographer Sam Levy talking about John Huston's uh, great 72 film, Fat City. He's a he's a good guy, Sam Levy. Great, show, that was yes. a fantastic conversation. Yes, it was. And then we're uh, continuing our disease film series uh, with with Serenity, which is uh, I think Pete and I agree that it's a little bit on the uh, uh, you know skirting the the fit with the genre, <laughs> but but it works. Oh well, no, it, it, it does, does fit. Work. It does fit. It oh, does. Serenity, the yeah. the Firefly yeah. movie about yes. the, the jerks. What are the jerks called in that movie? The, the jerks, <laughs> You're talking the, about the Reavers? The Reavers. The Reavers, yeah. yeah. Those, oh, those cannibals, they're movie. such jerks. <laughs> they are such oh. jerks. Well, this is, you, you have to they're know, scams. and I know, I and JJ and I had, had coffee, he said he's a little bit behind on the show right now, and so you don't know, if you haven't been, if you're, if you're behind, you haven't been listening, just how ridiculous some of the films that we've been talking about are, some of these disease movies that we haven't seen, and oh, so great. Serenity marks a major upgrade, and I, I think speaking for Andy, we're both very much looking for this as a as a bit of sweet relief. Well, well and to the, yeah. <laughs> actually, any excuse to see Serenity is probably a good one. If you can fit it into any of the uh, themes yes. that we're doing, I think would be a good thing. So uh, yes. There also will be a whole bunch of other things happening with TNR Shorts that you'll see popping up from time to time in the near future. Uh, so check those out as well. We've got a bunch of those in the hopper coming. Um, this, this particular conversation has been a firing squad, I think. Um, for Jason Bourne. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming out tonight, Tommy. Thanks. <laughs> I appreciate it, guys. Always a pleasure. Andy. Thank you very much. And Pete. Thank you, JJ. I'm subdued. My opinion is resolved. <laughs> I'm glad. Steve. I'm going to go abduct Pete and put him in a secret Black Ops program so that he'll forget this movie. <laughs> I, know. I think he'll welcome that. I think it'll be good for all of us. <laughs> good night, everyone. Till next. Thank you.
Here on the Film Board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today. (laughs) 